How do you know something is true? I mean, we live in an age where people have the ability to say anything without proof or without consequence. I mean, we've always had urban legends, old wives' tales, myths, but we live in a culture that has the capacity and ability to spread lies further and faster than ever. People can post, they can repost, they can retweet anything in a matter of minutes without verifying, without checking, or putting in context. During research, whether the sources are reliable, whether they're credible, or even logically reasonable. We can put it, and this is one of my favorite things when people say, well, I didn't say it, I just reposted it or retweeted it. It's not me. I'm not held accountable for whether it's true or not. Mark Twain said this, and I believe Winston Churchill repeated it for him. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. A lie can spread so fast before we even consider verifying the truth or doing the work or whether, is this reliable? Is this true? Is this credible? Is the source accurate? Is there eyewitness to this? A wise counsel, to take it even further than Mark Twain, a wise counsel, I don't even remember uh, if this was a famous quote or I know someone said it to me. A half-truth spreads faster and farther than a lie or a full lie. I mean, because a half-truth, something that actually, oh, yeah, that seems plausible, that seems true, and it, it, that, that affirms my own bias, not that you would ever say that. I will spread that, and that will spread farther, and then you begin to understand what is going on in this world, all these half-truths which seem reasonable to us or affirm our bias, and they get spread and propagated into the world. That's the way Satan deceives. I don't have to tell a full lie. That's too obvious. Let me just disguise it in a little bit of truth. And we spread it. We eat it up. Full lies are just too noticeable. How do you know something is true? And then how do you testify that something is true? How do you know something is true? And then how do you testify something is true? Our standards shouldn't be because I said so. Or I believe it, therefore it is true. I mean, that's the, the exasperated parent line. I believe it, I said so, therefore it's true, and you will do it, and you will know this thing. That's not the standard of truth. Truth is not dependent on whether you believe it or not. Or even if you do believe it, it doesn't mean it's true. That's not the standard God is not dependent upon whether we believe him or not. He is, and he will ever be. Even Jesus, in this passage, doesn't rely on his own words and his own testimony. He doesn't say, hey, you should believe me because I said this is who I am. That's not how he testifies that something is true. In John 5.30, he says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Just a side note for a second. Can that be true for all of us? Man, 
Can that be true in my life? Man, Lord, help me not to seek my will. (laughs) Help me to seek the will of the one who sent me. God has sent all of us. Let us seek his will and not our own will. Hard to distinguish at times, isn't it? I just remember the, the context here, the previous text in, in John 5, right? It hammered this point home that Jesus only does what the Father does. Father does it, Jesus does it. So therefore, if Jesus is doing it, you can assume that the Father has done it or is doing it. They are one. What the Father wills is what Jesus wills. They do the same thing. And that's a little bit what Jesus is pointed at is here. It's not my testimony. It's not my testimony. It's someone else's. John 5, 31 through 32. If I alone bear witness about myself, Jesus says, my testimony is not true. Right? If I'm the only te- witness to this, if I'm the only one to say that I am God, that I am the I am, that I am Yahweh, that I am Lord, then how could that be true? That's not how we bear witness to things. He says, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that that testimony that he bears about me is true. And that another, in the context of all this, the antecedent to that is you go back, is the Father. The Father is testifying to who Jesus is. Therefore, what does Jesus do? Jesus will testify to who he is. What the Father does is what the Son will do. In the ancient Eastern world and in the Old Testament, when a capital crime was committed and charged, the suspects were brought to the, to the city gate, kind of this kind of would be like a public square, and brought before everyone, and there would be the judges there, the elders, uh, and there would be the court, the case. And before them, they would at least need at least two, at least two eyewitnesses for someone to actually be put to death on a capital case. In Deuteronomy 17.6, it says, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Now, what's going on here in the context? They actually want to put Jesus to death, right? They're plotting this. They are not happy about what he's claiming, and they want him dead. Interesting enough, right? So it takes multiple witnesses to put someone to death for a capital offense. The other thing is that if you bear false witness in a capital case in that uh, that gate, the crime for that is that you will be put to death. You will not bear false witness. This makes a lot of sense. I, I do want you to understand that this is the 10th commandment. When God outlines and summarizes the law, when he summarizes his character, he says this, don't bear false witness. Now, we can apply that, and rightly so, that we take that into lying, right, to, to telling the truth. But the, the, the context is a legal case. The words that is being expressed in Exodus and in Deuteronomy is don't bear false witness. Don't be in an official court proceeding And do not bear false witness. Do not tell a lie. Do not speak something that is not true. This is a big deal. This is not a minor thing. This is the character of God. We should not take lightly Christians who are being made into the character of God, what comes out of our mouth. 
Jesus talks about this a lot. Talks about what comes out of our mouth a lot. What comes out of our mouth, what we talk about other people, about other things, ought to be true. Otherwise, keep it inside. You don't need to hear it. You don't need to repost it. You don't need to retweet it. Unless you absolutely can verify with multiple witnesses, not just on a capital case, but anything, should you be speaking it. It's a big deal, particularly in our world today. The situation here, right, in the hearts and the minds of the Jews and the Pharisees, they're putting Jesus on trial. They are putting Jesus on trial. And where are they? They are in the temple. Let's not forget the context of where Jesus is. He is in the temple, and they are convicting him. In their minds, they are already putting him on trial, and they are convicting him of heresy. Now, none of us have ever done that right? No one here has actually in your mind convicted someone or accused them of doing things in your mind. And you've played out the circumstances like, no, well, yep, they're guilty. None of us have prejudged anyone. None of us have any prejudice, right? We do it all the time. Convict people in our minds for maybe a behavior that's towards us or we perceive that's towards us, and we just, man, they are guilty. We know the motivations of their heart, don't we? And we pronounce judgment. Jesus goes after this too, doesn't he? He goes after thoughts in the New Testament. It's sins aren't just outward actions or outward reposting, but are you thinking things that aren't true? Are you bearing false witness in your thoughts that aren't true? Think about that for a moment. Are are you having thoughts and bearing false witness? Maybe you're not speaking them, but you're bearing false witness in your mind and telling things that aren't true about someone in your mind or that you can't know or you can't verify. That really is what bearing false. It's not that you think they are true. But can you verify those thoughts? Because if you can't verify those thoughts, you shouldn't be thinking about them. You should cast them away. You should pray for God to remove them. The Gospel of John does this interesting thing. Right right from the beginning here, it is the people are putting Jesus on trial. They keep accusing him and and, accusing trying to try to trap him or trying to get him to, to identify who he is and why he's doing these things. But what, what really is happening in John is that Jesus is actually putting the world on trial. He's putting you and I on trial. This gospel is this narrative in which Jesus is actually convicting us. And I do mean that in a kind of a double entendre. He is judging us, and he's convicting us in our hearts. When we, we open up this book and we read the gospel, the gospel of John, and all the gospels, our hearts should melt with conviction. We should hear these words and like not think about how great we are, but it should penetrate our hearts of how evil that we are. Now, this, this Holy Spirit that moves in us, that moves us to repentance should move us to plead for forgiveness. I do hope you understand that the life of a follower of Christ is a life of repentance. It should be easy for us to apologize. 
It should be easy for us to realize, yeah, you know what? There's something wrong with I've done. There's something wrong in the way I think. There's something wrong in the way I behave. There's something wrong. It should be, when someone accuses of us, it shouldn't be like, hey, that's not possible. I'm not like that. It should be easy for us to walk in a way of repentance because that is the life of a Christian. Being pulled away from sin moment by moment by moment by moment and going towards Christ. Jesus is not saying that his testimony about himself is not true. That's not what he's saying in this passage. What he's saying, he's putting this in the context of legal terms. So you're, you're trying to convict me. I will prove in this passage with multiple witnesses that aren't me, that I am who I say I am. And that's what he does in this passage. He pulls out multiple, there's four witnesses in this passage that Jesus says, look, it's not that I just say that I am the great I am, which he's, that's what he's saying. When, when I say that Jesus is Lord, when it, we get in this mind our, ourselves that Lord, we, okay, we understand maybe ruler or, or he's sovereign or he's king, but that doesn't really, that, that's hard for us to comprehend and, and the people that have grown up in a democracy where we get to vote for our rulers, right? But it's more than that when we say Jesus is Lord. It's more than the concept that we have a hard time struggling that he's, he's ruler, sovereign ruler. When it says that he is Lord, he's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is literally Yahweh, which is what that name means, the personal covenant name of God in which he reveals to Moses. It says, Moses asks, who, who am I? Who are you, God? And God says, I am the great I am. I am Lord. I am Yahweh. That's what he's saying. And Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. And he's, I am Yahweh. I am Lord. When we testify that Jesus is Lord, we're saying that he is God, the one sovereign God, ruler of all things. And Jesus says, look, I'm saying that right here in the temple, but I'm not going to, don't believe my words. Believe the testimony of these four things. Believe the witnesses. Right? You need, you need multiple witnesses to convict me. I'm going to give you multiple witnesses to prove that I am who I say I am. The first witness Jesus pulls out is John the Baptist. In John 5, uh, 33 to 35, you sent, you sent to John, and he was born witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You do, in, in this moment, in this period in time, John the Baptist was more famous, more prestigious, and more influential than Jesus. You could actually probably say that, that any time in Jesus' lifetime, John the Baptist was more famous. In fact, all the Jews and Pharisees knew him. He had a good standing, a good reputation. John, John actually restores to the people of Israel, the office of prophecy. For about 500 years, God has been silent to his people. There had been no prophet. There had been no one speaking directly to the people. No messenger of God. And here comes John the Baptist. And everyone is enthralled with him. And he speaks words that are challenging. And eventually, he dies. They kill him. The king kills him. 
But John is restoring the office of prophecy. And what does John do? What does he do? He points to Jesus. In fact, the, the prologue of the gospel of John, which is different than the John the Baptist, talks about John the Baptist. It says, he, in John 1, 7 through 8, he, John the Baptist, came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, do you get understanding what John's purpose is? It's to bear witness about the light, to bear witness about Jesus. This is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Psalm 132, 17, that John is the lamp. John is the lamp. He's not the light, but he is the vehicle which the light uses to testify. Psalm 132, 17 there I will make a horn to sprout out for David. So something that proclaims something. I prepared a lamp for my anointed. There you have John, who bears witness to the light of the world. And we know in Jesus is the light, John tells us, the gospel of John tells us that. Jesus is light. John the Baptist's job was to testify and be a place where the light can shine. John's job as a human being was to be a place where Jesus could testify through about who he is, to bear witness. May the Holy Spirit speak that into your life. May, may it be your job, may it be my job, that God uses each and every one of us to be a lamp. You want to understand why you were created? It was to be a lamp to bear witness, to be a vehicle in which the light shines in the world. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, this is John the Baptist, and said, behold, this is what John the Baptist says to Jesus, when he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is Lord. Witness number two, miracles, and Jesus' works, John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. This is very important because our modern-day understanding of miracles are not, is not very healthy. Miracles do not prove the existence of God. Everyone understand that? I want to say it again. Miracles do not prove the existence of God. Roman 1 states it very clearly that God is revealed throughout all his creation. No one is without excuse. Like Miracles don't, ha God, miracles don't have to happen and say, oh, God exists. God exists because he created all things. And all things testify to God. And so we are without excuse. A miracle presupposes the existence of God. A miracle can only happen if God exists. So here's a definition of a miracle I want you to understand. A miracle is a supernatural act of God. Only God. Only God. No one else can do miracles except God, including Satan. 
Satan cannot do miracles. God has structured the universe, and we learn about it, and we're learning more about it, and the more we learn about it, the more we realize we don't know about it, but he, there's a natural order to things, right? And it's, it's not that he, he, he sets, the, sets the creation and just lets it go, but there's an order to things, but God acts supernaturally, out of the ordinary, extraordinarily how he makes things work. That's what a miracle, and God intervenes. That's the miracle. People that you may see that are preaching and proclaiming that they do miracles, you ought to question. Because who can do miracles? Only God. Only God can do miracles. So if you see someone that sets up a whole convention or a whole service and their intention is that they're going to reveal the miracles of God, I want you to question their theology or what they're actually doing. Because Satan can do tricks. Satan can do tricks, but he can't do miracles. You, you get this idea with Moses and Pharaoh's magicians, right? Moses comes... And he does all these incredible plagues that are acts of God, that are miracles. And then the first few of them, the Pharaoh has his magicians to copy them in part. They fool people, but they're actually not miracles. They're tricks. Nicodemus, when he encountered Jesus, Nicodemus said, look, man, I know you have supernatural authority. I know it says in John 32, the man came to Jesus, Nicodemus, by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Only God can do what you're doing. Only God does miracles. I don't really understand this, <laughs> Nicodemus says, but I know that this, I'm testifying that this is true. In John 10, 25, Jesus says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. So he said, all the miraculous things that I do before you are testifying to who I am. Because only God does miracles. Only God does the works that I do. John 10, 32. Jesus says, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which of them are you going to stone me? I, I, I love that. It's like, you know that these works that I do, only God does. Which one of these are you going to condemn me and convict me of? The purpose of the miracles is to bear witness and to authenticate that Jesus is Lord. John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is Lord. The miracles testify that Jesus is Lord. And the third witness which is probably the only witness you need, is the Father. In John 5, 37, 38, And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. That, that's a pretty harsh word. Can you remember any time in Scripture that the Father speaks? It happens twice in the New Testament that the Father audibly speaks. 
The Father audibly speaks. And what does he do? He does it at Jesus' baptism. And people hear it around him. It's not just Jesus hears it. People hear the Father, the baptism and the transfiguration of Jesus. And both times, what does the Father say? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am pleased. And at the transfiguration, says, listen to him. Listen to him. This makes sense if you begin to understand what preceded this, right? That Jesus doesn't do anything unless the Father does it. So Jesus wouldn't bear witness about himself unless the Father is bearing witness about Jesus. In John 8, 18, Jesus says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. He bears witness about himself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And we have this audible voice of God in the New Testaments, in Matthew, and the other Gospels, where their Father speaks, other people hear it. And what does Jesus say to these Pharisees, to these scholars, to these religious leaders, to these people that ought to know? Say, you haven't heard the Father's voice. He has spoken. You haven't heard him. They don't even see him. Say, you haven't even seen him. They should be able to see him because Jesus is the visible incarnation of the Father. The Father and Son are one. They should be able to see him right now, and they do not recognize him. And therefore, that's why he says, you do not have God's word abiding in you. You can't hear it. You can't see it. You don't understand it. Here it is, all these things testifying about who I am, and you do not comprehend. I don't know if you've ever seen this bumper sticker. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Right? It's actually terrible. It's terrible theology. Because the, the second statement makes no sense. God is not dependent upon whether you believe it or not. God said it. That settles it. And that's what he's saying to these Pharisees in front of him. I'm not dependent upon whether you believe me or not. The Father has said this. That's it. John the Baptist has said it. The miracles testified. I testified. The truth is not dependent upon whether we believe it or not. This is a real foundational theological principle that God is not dependent upon whether we confess or not. Does he want that? He wants it for us. He doesn't need it for him. It doesn't bring him any more glory if we glorify him. I want you to understand that. It doesn't bring God any more glory that you sit here and glorify him and worship him. That doesn't bring him any more glory. He's already glorious enough. It benefits you. In John 5, 32, he says it right, I said it earlier, right? There is another who bears witness. This is going back. There is the Father who bears witness to me. The Father is bearing witness that Jesus is Lord. The Father and Son are one. John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is Lord. The miracles testify that Jesus is Lord. And the Father testifies that Jesus is Lord. And there is a fourth witness that Jesus pulls out. The Scriptures. In John 5, 39 through 40, 
He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Right? I, once again, he's talking to the scholars. He's talking to the pastors. He's talking to the PhD in theology and the Bible and the scriptures. These are the people that read the Bible every day. These are the people that go to Bible study every day. And that is a good thing. I hope you understand it's a good thing. That's a good thing that they do that. But at the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is that, look at, these words are God's words. That's why they're authoritative. Because God is the one who is powerful. Because God is the one who has authority. You search these scriptures to actually know who God is. He's revealing himself. We're called to be in a relationship with God. This is why we scour this. This is why that I preach from it. Not that you just hear it and you ascertain to some knowledge and that you have it, but that you actually know God. And you grow with him. Jesus says these books, this book, this book that you just read over and pour over every day, it's about me. It's testifying to me. It's talking about me. In John 5, 45 to 47, it says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Let's stop for a second. When he says Moses, he's talking about Moses, right, which we all know who Moses is, right? But he's the writer of the first five books, the Torah, the law. And when he says, you've set your hope on Moses, what he's saying is you've set your hope on the law. You've set your hope that if you obey God, you will know him and you will be in relationship with him. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. Moses is testifying about me. When we talk about the obedience is required, when we talk about the law, what we're talking about, I want you to understand who God is, because that's what the law is doing. The law is testifying to the character of who God is. And they miss that point. Jesus goes on, for if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. If you, if you actually knew the law, you would know me for he wrote of it. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses actually predicts that there will be a prophet greater than him. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, a messenger of God, like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now that's an important phrase. It is to this prophet you shall listen. And what does the father's voice say? Listen to Jesus. Jude 5, this is one of my favorite verses. Jude 5, Jude, the brother of Jesus. The brother, grew up with this guy. This is what Jude says about Jesus after the resurrection. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Where is it? What is Jude saying about Jesus? Jesus, he's saying, Jesus is the one 
who would have been 1,400 years earlier than the time that he actually lived, is the one that rescued the Israelites out of slavery, out of Egypt. He's identifying him, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. His brother says that. I would not say that about my brother, nor my brother say it about me. We are in God's word. We studied the scriptures, you and I, to know Jesus, to know God more. Not, co- not just cognitively, but actually to be more in relation, to fall deeper in love with him. Here it is. Jesus is right in front of them. God is right in front of them. The reasons for their scriptures, and they are more worried about following their interpretation of the scriptures than seeing the author right before them. Man, I just need to follow the law correctly. You need to follow the law correctly. And here it is, the lawgiver, right before them. And that's what Jesus is saying. Man, you don't know the scriptures, because here I am. Here I am, and you do not recognize what the scriptures are talking about. Our agendas, my agendas, often blind us from what God is doing. Blind us from what God is doing right in front of us. Blind us from what God is doing in us and through us and for us. We read the scriptures not to get an agenda, but to understand who Jesus is so that we can see him right before us. To see how he's working. To see who he is. Why does Jesus say we don't recognize him? In John 5, 42, it says, But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Hmm. <laughs> this is why. This is why we do not recognize Jesus at times. Because we do not have God's love in us. You have a problem with someone in this church, or you have a problem with, with someone else, you're actually not seeing what God is doing in them and for them. Love them, and then God will give you the vision. He will show you who he is and what he's doing. There is a correlation to our proper belief and our correct doctrine. That we can't just, we have to, to I said that wrong. There is a correlation to our proper belief and our correct action. The two always correlate. And here it is. These Pharisees, they think they have a proper belief, but they don't because they don't have the proper action to go along with it. He says, you do not love God. What blinds us from Jesus is our arrogance and our pride. In John 5, 48, it says, I do not receive glory from people. In John, uh, in verse 44, how can you believe, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? It is not possible to see Jesus. It is not possible to believe in Jesus correctly. It is not possible to know Jesus correctly if you're seeking the recognition, the applause, the fleeting glory from other people. You can't do it. And anytime that you seek that applause, anytime you seek that recognition or that, yet that pride that swells up in you, understand that it is momentary and it is fleeting and it will go away. 
The glory which God has for us is the glory that he shares. It's his glory that he gives. Nothing else is glorious but God. Why do we seek the glory and the recognition from other people? Why don't we seek to please him and to seek his praise and his glory? John's gospel and this whole gospel and why he's writing this gospel, it's to bear witness about Jesus. Jesus gives us four witnesses, right? Four witnesses. But the whole gospel gives us many more. And John 21, 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness. John, the disciple, the apostle, bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. The reason why God, uh, John writes his gospel is so that he can bear witness so that you and I can actually know Jesus. And John 15, 26, 27, but when the helper comes from whom I will send to you, Jesus says, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been from with me from the beginning. Jesus also says later on, like, it's the Holy Spirit that will bear witness about me too. And you, it is your job to bear witness about me. The Apostle John bears witness, the Holy Spirit bears witness. What are we to know? What is this witness that they're testifying to? That Jesus is Lord. John the Baptist bears witness to that Jesus is Lord. The miracles, all of God, Jesus' actions, bear witness that he is Lord. The Father testifies that Jesus is Lord. The scriptures point to who Jesus is, that he is Lord. Jesus himself testifies it. The Holy Spirit testifies that Jesus is Lord. The disciples The apostles testify that he is Lord. I mean, these are some reliable, blue-checked, verified sources. I want you to, do you understand? We don't have just one written gospel. We have four, four different eyewitness accounts because it is important that we have more than one witness that testify that Jesus is Lord. And what are you and I to do? What are you and I to do with this information? We are to bear witness as well. You know what that, that Greek word for bear witness is? It's the same word we get to be a martyr. So I'm, I'm not actually saying being a martyr, but understand what's what a martyr is. Being a martyr is actually bearing witness with your whole life for Jesus. This is the purpose of your whole life is to bear witness to him. In fact, Jesus actually commands us to in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth, everywhere, even the places you don't want to be and the places you don't want to go and the people you don't want to be with. You will be my witnesses. We do this, we bear witness with our words of praise, our words of praise of God. We do this with our giving thanks to him, pointing people to Jesus that all things that we have, all things that we encounter is to God's glory, and we give him thanks. We testify with our actions. We start with humility. 
not seeking praise, not seeking glory, not seeking recognition, but understand this is God who's called us to be. We, we, we start this with this humility. We start this by living a life of repentance, turning away from this prideful heart that desires people to recognize us, that desires the glory of others. But we need to be people, I said this at the very beginning, we need to be people that understand that it is a life of repentance, turning away from our prideful heart, our arrogant heart, to holding true to the precious one, Jesus, where all glory comes from. The glorious heart, mind, and soul of Jesus. Church, this should be our testimony. This should be our life. Repentance, humility, thanks, gratitude, praise. All to Jesus. Bear witness with your life, with your words, that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I give you thanks that you are God that doesn't just tell us and testify and witness, but you, you send multiple witnesses in our life. You create a whole, the whole universe to testify about who you are. And then you get even more specific. Sending people in our lives, the Holy Spirit in our lives, a church in our lives to testify to you over and over again at who you are. Lord, we know we fail at this we know we are uh, inadequate witnesses. But we know that you give us the power and the ability. And it's not just our words, but it's your work through us. And we are not the light, but we are a lamp in which you utilize to shine your light through us to confirm to us, to confirm to others that you are Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the testimony of Jesus. Thank you for the testimony of your scriptures. Thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist and all the apostles and all the disciples and the people in our lives that have particularly testified and pointed us to you. We praise you, Lord, for this good, good work in us and for us. Lord, help us, help us day in and day out to bear witness and to know you and to seek to know you over and over again. All praise to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.